This episode of the Fastest Known Podcast is brought to you by Koros. Wearables from Koros help you explore perfection by offering the longest battery life in its class for each of its watch models. For example, in full GPS mode, you get 60 hours of battery life. That's as much as the current FKT on Nolan's 14. Or track in ultra mode to get an astonishing 150 hours of battery life, enough to get an FKT on Vermont's long trail and then some. Koros is proudly worn by many great runners, including Camille Heron, Timothy Olson, Hayden Hawks, Magdalena Boulay, and many others. Track your next FKT with a watch from Koros. Visit koros.com. C-O-R-O-S dot com. Back we are with the fastest known podcast. Personal descriptions of the coolest routes in the world described by the people who did them. This week, we are in the Pacific Northwest, where the podcast hasn't really been to very much. But from where great FKT action has been taking place, particularly by this one person, Jason Hardrath, who literally one week apart, which we're going to get into in a minute, set two huge FKTs. Welcome, Jason. Thanks for having me, Buzz. I'm excited. Excited to be talking with you. Well, you're an exciting guy. Uh, this is nuts. We're going to talk about this in a second, but just so people can get a little up to speed with you, uh, you you've always check on this. And some people we have on our podcast are famous ultra runners. Not so much you. You've done some ultras, mainly in your neck of the woods, Oregon, Northern California, dating back to 2014. But mainly you're an FKT kind of guy, aren't you? Yeah, uh, I discovered these little more than a year ago, um, and it just felt really natural. It was a chance to kind of bring my mountaineering passion and my climbing passion and my running passion together, and just that feeling of sort of being creative and, and finding your own path to solve the problems out in nature. Um, it works for me. Well, definitely works for you. <laughs> and I'll just wrap up the quick bio by noting that you teach school in the winters in Oregon, in Klamath Falls, and everyone listening to this can go to the website, fastestknowntime.com, and under the athletes menu at the top, type in Jason Hardrath, and they can look up everything that you've done, which is 26 FKTs. This is having discovered them just like you said last year. Of those 27, you've done 17 so far this year. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a busy year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, well, it's a, good, good. Say, Jason, what else? It's been a busy year, indeed. So you've been getting <laughs> after it. I mean, this is amazing. Well, it's it's sort of. Uh, I was always the kid who couldn't sit still, and I'm I'm a PE teacher. That's what I teach. So wow. very naturally fell into that, and so it's kind of natural for me to just want to move from from one way of moving moving my body to another to another. So. Yeah. yeah so you're going busy. from uh, push-ups and calisthenics to climbing Mount Rainier twice. And indeed, that's the famous, now becoming famous, Rainier Infinity Loop, which uh, is kind of a clever concept. It's like Infinity Loop. What does that mean? Well, it means by the you're circumnavigating the mountain on the Wonderland Trail, while climbing it twice from opposite sides. So if you looked at it on a map, it, sh it shows that figure eight kind of looking like the infinity sign, correct? And you did this only five weeks 
after Jason Anton and Eric Sanders completed it. You did this just on August 16th of this year. And this is this is a big day. Tell us a little bit about it. Um, yeah, no, it's it's one that's so big that it sat out there on the horizon, scaring me for a good long time. Uh, 130 miles, uh, over 130 miles, over 47,000 feet of elevation gain. 47,000 um, feet. That's no typo, is it? That is not a typo. And just as a just as perspective, you know, Hard Rock has 33 or so. I don't know, 47 by yourself. And you did this not as a team either. Solo self-supported. Yeah. Yeah. So did you sleep during that time? Um, one of the ways, um, and we kind of mentioned that I did this seven days after uh, another FKT. We'll talk about the Cascades trifecta. Um, I kind of came in knowing stuff might go a little bit sideways. It might be a hard learning experience because of that. So sleep, cutting the sleep out of the logistics as much as I knew my body could handle was a big portion of succeeding at this effort. I slept 90 minutes the first night and 21 minutes the second night. So you kind of did it AR style in that you planned your sleep break so you wouldn't crash. Uh, the first sleep break was uh, planned ahead of time to prevent getting tired before the second climb or during the second climb. The second sleep break was basically uh, a dirt nap right where I was too tired to continue. <laughs> and that was uh, 21 minutes. Did you set an alarm or how'd you keep it at 21 minutes? I, I did set an alarm for about 26 minutes out. I kind of figured that the cold would wake me up and, you know, those natural alarms in our body would go off and I'd wake up and my body would be like, we got to move. We're cold. And sure enough, that's what happened. Woke up three minutes before my alarm, shut it off, slammed it in my bag and started marching again. <laughs> 21 minutes. And that's... Uh... That's in the middle of nowhere by yourself. Yes, that would be in the middle of that long stretch uh, uh, on the second part of the circumnavigation, that 67-mile stretch. Mm. Um, mm. Well, you don't want to take that cat nap when you're on the mountain because the mountain gets really cold. Mm. Yeah, I, pl I planned it. I planned it so that I would feel as fresh as possible for both of the times over the mountain. Um and I planned it so that I would climb the mountain the second time if everything went according to plan in as safe of conditions as possible. So a normal alpine starting time. Um, and that worked out. That worked out really well through that part. The body moved well. I was right on where I wanted to be. What, and then it got interesting on the uh, the last part of the circumnavigation. <laughs> you mean just being out of gas? Out of gas, some some uh, mild hallucinations due to the exhaustion and sleep deprivation. It, it the Rainier Infinity Loop delivers <laughs> <laughs> full value, as we sometimes like to say. <laughs> full value. <laughs> well, your time was two days, seven hours, and about forty-one minutes. That is full value, and that's that's a long time by yourself, and that uh, bested uh, Jason and Eric's time set just five weeks previous by uh, four hours and they were uh, uh, seven hours ahead of uh, in 2018 by uh, by six hours by four hours and they bested a time set five weeks previously in 2018 so this this thing's gotten going and of course there's uh, a couple did it in 2017 and then a uh, a female team did it also in July of this year. So the Rainier Infinity Loop has sort of gotten some traction. 
It has indeed. It's it's pretty popular. Quite a few people talk about it. I was surprised how aware the mountaineering community and the rangers were about it. Like, I didn't even have to describe what I was doing. They're just like, oh, yep, Rainier Infinity Loop. What are your estimated times to be at different places? Really? The ranger said that? Yep. It was, he'd already, he'd already given out a, a couple uh, this year, um, a, a couple permits for it this year. And so he, he knew how to figure it all out. I really appreciated that. I would, would have hated to try to figure it all out myself, which permits I needed for what. Um, so they were super solid in the climbing ranger office there. Nice, nice. I got a so you have to get people should note if you want a solo Mount Rainier, there's a particular permit called a solo climbing permit, which I got once, and apparently they are still required. So what routes did you do on Rainier? On the way up, I did DC, and on the way down, I I took Emmons, just like the prior um, record attempts and and successes. And then the uh, other side, I, I went down Emmons. Down Emmons, interesting. DC, of course, stands for Disappointment Cleaver. So it was it was all flagged, and the guides that had it in good shape? Yeah. So actually that was part of the surprise. I, I asked specific questions while I was in the uh, climbing ranger office. And I guess that a status had changed that was new and hadn't made it around to the paradise side of the mountain yet. So the disappointment cleaver side, all in good shape, boot track to follow, flags up, super straightforward, just like when I'd done the Cascades trifecta um, seven days prior. Um, but then when I bailed off the Emmons side uh, down that route, they were no longer guiding it. And it was, uh, it definitely um, <laughs> surprised me. And I had to pull my head back in and get focused on uh, safe route finding techniques, especially being solo, because there were only bits of boot track here and there that weren't melted out that I could follow or see, and definitely no flagging. Following in a crevasse while solo would not be good. Hmm. Well, let's. You just mentioned the Cascade Trifecta, which just crazily you had done one week prior. The Trifecta, of course, is dear to my heart, as I must admit, and that's climbing Rainier, Adams, and Hood in one shot. It's a little different because it's not. I suppose someone could do it self-propelled by biking between them. No one's ever done that. So basically, they're these are big volcanoes, so it's done by driving in between them. And I love this route, Jason, I have to say. Of course, I thought of it, so I'm not, <laughs> I would have uh, said that anyway, because anytime you go up any of those three, right, correct me if you see this differently, you're looking at the other two. You know, there they are, and you, it has to pop in your mind, why not just link? Absolutely, it's so true. Every Every time I've ever stood on top, um, cause I've, I've gotten lucky. I've, I've caught a lot of bluebird days when I've climbed these peaks and anytime you're standing on the top, you just see the other ones out on the horizon. Um, also looking larger than life. And it is really easy to think about how cool it would be to do all three. Um, so yeah, I appreciate your idea. <laughs> oh, good. And I think when you wrote it up, you said, <coughs> pardon me. Thank you for one of the best days of my life. Watching the sunrise, I got the, I got this cool experience where right as you break the ridge line, um, when you first hit some of the dirt of Disappointment Cleaver, you see this like shark fin rock down below you. I don't know the name of it on Rainier, but I hit that point right as the light, the, the colors of sunrise were happening. Right. So it was silhouetted against the sunrise. And I, I submitted that photo. And then the same thing happened at the end of the day uh, with Illumination Rock on Mount Hood. 
being silhouetted against the sunset. And that as like bookends to a day was just surreal to experience. And you can see the shadow of the mountain itself because on these volcanoes, you're not in a fault block uplift, you know, like the Tetons, the Rockies, the Sierras. These are just singular volcanoes. And so the forest, relatively flat forest, stretches out in all directions. So at sunrise and sunset, you're seeing the shadow of the entire mountain. That's and just, yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I can't find the words to describe it. Just being able to. To, to see both of those in the same day from from different major peaks that by themselves have served as entire memories for weekends. That's what that that for me is what made it all one of the best days of my life for sure. Nice. Well, the trifecta again has that driving and you did it self-supported, which means you drove yourself. That's a little harder. So no napping and eating in the car. You had to get in your uh your Porsche Ferrara. Wasn't that what you drove or what did you drive in between? <laughs> uh, basically a Geo Metro, Suzuki Swift, but it is the exact same car with a different brand on it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So a souped up Geo Metro or is this stock, Jason? Oh, straight stock. <laughs> <laughs> okay, classic stuff. So I guess the, uh, the little joke here is that one does not need to be a trust funder to get cool stuff done. Am I right? So true. Mm -hmm. So true. And that's one of the things. Well, you've, you've demonstrated that again, self-supported. That's, uh, that's good. I note that it was the same, you were preceded by the same team. Uh, this was also done in July 7th of this year by Eric Saunders and Mike Chambers. This time, Jason Anton dropped out. And then you followed it, looks like four weeks later, just this August 7th. Are you, do you know these folks or is this just coincidence? Since I didn't know them at the time I attempted, um, I'd heard of them by reading different blogs and, and some of their blogs and writings on the, the routes. But since completing these two FKTs, uh, we've gotten in touch and they reached out to like congratulate me. Um, and we've talked back and forth a bit. So it's been cool to see my connections within the community, the FKT community and the mountaineering community grow because of this. Um, it's, it's exciting to meet interesting people who are doing amazing things. Well, that's a good example. Uh, the, the, you uh, bested the time. And again, everyone's out just having a fun for the day. Everyone's challenging themselves. And like you said, having an amazing day, or in your case, two days in the mountains. And so there's, it's not super competitive. I mean, people are going after the time. They understand what the time is. But to say, you know, everyone's throwing elbows around the last curve of the track, and no one's doing that. And so they both reached out. They all reached out to you and all had a good conversation and became friends through the shared experience. I think that's classic FKT community. There's something that draws out the authenticity in people in these efforts, like because you have to put so much, you understand what the other person's going through because you had to put that same effort in yourself. Um, you understand that it wasn't easy. And so there's a just a natural respect that develops when someone else does the same thing you've done. You're like, oh, I know what you just went through. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, good call. Good call. And on the trifecta, um, it's interesting because obviously Rainier's the big boy. It obviously has a huge vert, but with the, um, 
the guide service flagging it, putting that boot track, you probably aren't going to fall in a crevasse. Although I did, um, we we had a big, I read that. Yeah, we had a big storm come in the night before. I said, oh, maybe I ought to cancel it because it had fresh snow. It made it go slower. I thought, well, we're already up here. Let's do it anyway. But there was zero boot track, and I fortunately Peter and I were roped, so that that would not have been good solo. But uh, we got it done, and then the, then interestingly enough, Max King told me in person that he tried it twice. And Max, of course, is one of the best runners in the world. He uh, It's almost the same year that he won the World 100K Championship that he tried the trifecta. And I think both times he did Ad, uh, Rainier and Adams and just ran out of gas on who yeah, he, well, he, I don't. I'm not sure what he wrote. He just uh, told me in person, in regarding to what you just said about those who have done it have a shared camaraderie. Hood is not to be taken lightly. Interestingly enough, Adams is the highest in uh, Oregon, but it's kind of a walk up. Adams isn't that interesting. Hood gets steep. And if it's not in condition, it gets a little nasty. Yeah, uh, like you said, Hood is the Hood is the tallest in Oregon. Adams is that walk up there. Um, but especially this late in the year, as I went up above the hogs back, there were definitely some opened crevasses. And being the end of the day, the snow was squishy. And then you have that really steep pitch. It was the most nerve wracking part of the whole thing. Plus, I, the light had disappeared at that point. So right as I hit the most technical part of the mountain, I had to climb by lamp. So yeah, that was definitely of the whole experience. Like a lot of people, I think, write hood off because it's like, oh, it's, you know, like six and a half miles round trip. Um, no, don't think no, that you way. Can't, you can't, you can't think, you cannot think that way. <laughs> and there's been some massive fatalities on hood. I think you probably know that they've had like five people frozen to death in one storm. It's been some horrendous fatalities up there. And if you, fortunately you had, you did it in, uh, um, as we just mentioned early August, but normally by early August, you can't do it. You had a good snow year. Oftentimes by mid July, that top pitch, as you said, is melted off entirely. And you're like dry tooling on gravel. It's can get unpleasant. And it wasn't quite there yet. Um, as I attempted it, but it was it was very close to that stuff was pretty open, very melted out the whole walk. Once you made the um, final final ridge that you walk across to the summit, all of that was completely melted at its ending limit for the year. Right. So future FK tiers note, you did it on August 7th and that's it. And often by the end of July, like July 15th to 20th, you're in, it's in that condition. So really, it's an early season climb, I believe. You want to do it as an early season climb. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> right. Well, good for you, Jason. Because like you said, you're, again, you were alone. And when Peter and I did it, we were obviously together. But doing it at night, it's like, wow, okay, headlamps. And you're, I like your description. Looking down between your legs as you're backing down this big mountain. It was the only position that felt safe and comfortable to basically, you think of what a, a bear crawl would look like. You know, I'm a gym teacher, so, you, you know, bear crawling back in PE. 
all, all down on all fours and then just play that backwards. And that's what I was doing down this mountain with uh, my two ice axes and my toe points, just looking down between my legs over my shoulder to follow my exact track that I followed up because I was super worried I would get get a little bit off track. And I had found like possibly one of the only spots you could get past the crevasse that had opened up. Mm. Um, mm. <laughs> so I'm like, don't mess this up. Don't mess this up. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. I like it. That's how many times have we all said that? I think in um, the world of racing, people might be thinking, you know, go faster or pass that guy in front of you. No, when we're doing this, it's don't mess this up. Don't mess this <laughs> up. That's a good mantra. So everyone listening, keep in mind, uh, this is uh, a good mantra to remember. I remember when uh, Jared Campbell, Ryan McDermott, and I were doing the three big canyons in Zion, and we dropped into the, you know this into Imlay after the rise of the sun started to go down, and we had on full wetsuits, head to toe, because these are just these waters, these pool potholes don't see the light of day, and we were the first people to go through that year, so we were pushing through some debris, some floating stuff in the pools. And uh, we pulled up the hoods on our wetsuits, took a deep breath and looked at each other and said, no mistakes, guys, right? And we all looked at each other and said, right. And you know what I mean? You, that's probably what you did too. You take that five seconds and say, okay, we got this. Now we go. Yeah, no, it's uh, one of my one of my buddies that I, I did one of my early FKTs with around uh, Crater Lake. Uh, his phrase for it is, "Put your head back in." <laughs> ah, yeah, put your head back in. And he, he does this gesture where he reaches out as if your mind has gotten outside of yourself, and then he gestures, putting it back in his back, back screwing it back on tight. <laughs> okay, and that's exactly what you do. It's it's that it's that deep breath and you know what you need to do and just then making it happen. I think that's a huge part of a lot of these efforts, especially these ones that include a technical element. Excellent. Good description, Jason. Now you've uh, had a lot of success on the volcanoes. What else is cool up there in the Pacific Northwest? I, I don't think you've been to the Olympics by the looks of uh, the site. You've done a lot in the Cascades. What are you thinking up? As far as in my neck of the woods around Oregon, Northern California, a little bit of Southern uh, Washington, um, it seems that there's a lot of good energy around the Sisters Mountains near Bend right now. Hmm. Um, one of my buddies, uh, Justin, he just submitted the new FKT for the Three Sisters Traverse. Um, smoking fast, smoking fast. He did it in six hours and 30 minutes. That's that's a that's a hot item. That one's gone a few times. Uh, I've been talking with him because I want to get on. And uh, actually, I guess I'll steal a little thunder from just ahead. Uh, one of my big things for what's next is I want to attempt Christoph Tuscher's Oregon's Five Highest. Oh, um, okay. So I've been getting getting information from him about his traverse of those three because the Oregon's Five Highest is at, just like it sounds. It's Oregon's Five Highest Peaks. So you have. South sister, middle sister, north sister. Then you hop on the PCT, run to Jefferson, which is the second tallest in Oregon. Um, tag the summit on that, back on the PCT, all the way to Hood, and tag the summit on Hood. Um, 
So that's one that now that I've done the Rainier Infinity Loop, I'm starting to starting to dream that that could be possible as well. Wow, but that's all self-propelled. That is all self-propelled. Well, Christoph, he gets those done. He's he's the long haul guy, isn't he? He really is. And this is new. I mean, you can look at my list of FKTs. This day plus, especially two day plus, is new territory for me. It was it was a big jumping off point to go from a a 19 hour effort, a 13 hour effort in that range to, okay, now I'm going to push for, you know, in excess of two days. Um, Mm -hmm. It was, uh, it was, it was a thing that scared me, but I I ran in, I bumped into, I'll tell a little story. I bumped into a guy um, from Colorado down at the base of Rainier when I showed up to first do the Cascade Trifecta and we just got talking about life and philosophy and all that. He'd been through some rough patches in his earlier life and now was like making decisions to, you know, pursue his own passions. And like, I really respected and appreciated that. So we had a conversation and we got talking and you know, those moments when you start talking about something and then you hear your own advice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had one of those moments where I was like, yeah, you've got to have, you've got to have goals that scare you. And right in that moment where I said that I'm like, I have to do, I have to try the Rainier infinity loop. Hmm. That's, that's the one that scares me. And I kept pushing it down the line, like, Oh, maybe next year, pushing it down the line. It's no, the conditions are good. If the conditions are good, I I need to try it. That's a great story. Jason, you were, you heard yourself talking and you listened to yourself. You listened to what came out. There, there are, there are definitely moments like that. You're a creative guy. We're going to go to your, you have an interesting lifestyle here. We're going to touch on that in a second. But I'm also noting, this is so cool, down in Yosemite, you did uh, Cathedral Peak. Cathedral Peak is super fun, isn't it? Cathedral Peak to Icorn, which is kind of, you know, almost the same bump, two summits there. That is, I'm sorry, I like, that was one of my favorite routes too. Did you like Cathedral Peak as much as I did? Uh, of of all the routes that I've uh, that I've done without a rope and like, just out climbing. I think that is probably, I mean, it's close between the cosmic wall. Um, the cosmic wall is a super classic route in the castle Craigs near Mount Shasta. But I think, I think cathedrals just, there's something about the feeling of it and the view from the top and how small the summit is. Um, yeah, that's one of my favorites. There's quality too. There's no loose rock. I mean, you there's this variation where you can take this little supposedly five, seven crack and it's just lockers the whole way up. Yeah, I, I loved it. It was super solid. It, one of my, one of my rules for myself is that it has to stay a little bit positive so that you could essentially do a no hands rest. Mm. And that one was just perfect the whole way, like steep enough at all points that you're, you're doing it for real. It's not like you get a ton of, spots where it's like oh this is just walking and it's flat um just like this perfect five six pitch the whole way right um but but then uh right down valley uh apparently on the same trip this is this is so creative of you you set the first fkt running to the top of el cap and and what the heck i mean the nose record the dawn wall etc etc and you ran the trail and somehow no one had posted that to our. Yeah. It just, it struck me as just one of those things where it's like, I know I won't be the fastest one for long, but it's, it was one where it's like, this needs, this needs to exist. It's been such a classic centerpiece of the rock climbing 
community and culture and history for so long is like, why is there not a portion of it for, for the running community as well? Right. Now, here's the question, Jason. Who would have won going to the top? Well, as of right now, yeah, to the top, uh, it, the, the running route's faster. I, I was faster. You were? Um, yes, I was. Good job. That's <laughs> thank, for, thank you very thank much. Thank you for uh, you know, <laughs> holding up and representing the sport well because, as you know, what uh, Tommy and Alex did was just nutto. I mean, that's just <laughs> the, the speed record on LCAP is just incredible. I mean, the nose wheel on LCAP is incredible. So glad that you were able to uh, – beat it while running up the trail <laughs> yeah i'll never i'll never com compare the two out loud myself uh because what they did is absolutely amazing uh but it was cool it was absolutely cool and i did feel a little sense as i was running up of i better do this um even though even though it's worlds of difference with the the skills necessary to run to the top of that versus climbing the nose Right, right. You, you you can't let people you know climb five ten and beat you. <laughs> True. <laughs> now back to the creative lifestyle. You're you're teaching in Oregon right now, but not only do you not own a house, but you're not even renting an apartment. So you're you've joined uh, the hashtag van lifer. You you travel in a van, and even while you're teaching, which I presume you do to make enough money to resume your summer activities, you're still not renting. Like, how is this working? How does this go? I, I took a summer. I had made it a habit to like get a van in the summer or right before summer and leave all my stuff in a tiny storage unit, move out of whatever apartment I was in, and then just travel in the van all summer. And I did it like two years. And finally, uh, three years ago, at the end of the, the summer, I just sort of had a moment where it's like, I'm just as happy in the van as I've ever been in any place I rented. Why would I, why would I pay someone for a place to sleep? Because I'm, I'm a super social active person. So I'm either out training or I'm spending time with friends, talking about ideas, coming up with routes, planning trips. And so I don't really spend any time at home. And it was just this realization of, well, why am I, why am I paying for that space if all it is is a bed? Cause the van can easily be that. Um, and so I made the decision to not move into a place and just experiment with living year round out of a van, which is definitely was a learning experience. It gets, it gets down for about a two week period around here. It gets down to like negative 15, negative 20 each winter. So luckily from my mountaineering experiences, I have, you know, my cold gear dialed pretty well and my cold habits. Um, dialed pretty well, but it was interesting to bring those into daily life because basically whatever the outside temperature is, is room temperature. <laughs> um, <laughs> and outside temperature are the same. Um, but yeah, no, it, what it does is it's, it allows me to still be a teacher, which is something I'm passionate about um, and still have free time, but also then have that third element. You know, people talk about how you can either have, you know, free time or you can have money, but you can't have both. Um, and I, the way I solved for that is it's like, okay, I'll take the money I would have been paying for rent and I'll put it away so I can afford to go, you know, fly overseas to climb a mountain, drive, you know, 500 miles and, you know, climb Rainier, whatever it is. Um, I can, I can afford that because I live the lifestyle I do year round. And that's important to me. I, I, I realize that I'm the kind of person 
I'm cut from the kind of cloth that I'm a much happier person if that's how I live rather than, oh, well, I have, you know, my nice couch and my nice TV, but I don't get to go do the things I want to do. Well, note to self, I got to go sell my nice couch, my nice TV. And as soon as we finish this podcast, uh, well, maybe not. Jason, very inspirational in all facets. Congratulations and getting after it and creating a lifestyle where it works for you. And you've done a good job sharing it. So listeners, please go to the website and type in Jason, see what he's up to there. And it sounds like you got a few more things coming up for uh, this year as well. I have a few more I'd like to do. Not quite done yet for the year. Okay. Stay tuned. Well, thanks again for taking your time, Jason.